In our experience, um, this refers primarily or also to the enemies, the, the spiritual enemies, the, the spiritual maybe maybe enemies, maybe threats, the, the spiritual threats, the spiritual challenges that we deal with, and that Hashem gives us the power to overcome it. Part of the Nafshi that we we are redeemed, and not only redeemed in a way of overcoming the struggle, but that we are able to surpass the struggle to to to, to be it should be in a peaceful way. And uh, this is accomplished by Isaac Batayrav and Mulas Chasadim and Mespalal Matzibur in the three in the three areas of Torah Avodah Gemilas Chasadim studying Torah, Tzedakah, and prayer specifically with the Tzibur with the Minyan and the Rebbe spoke also about learning Torah with the Minyan. I think Baruch Hashem more or less we have a Minyan. Yeah. We have Minyan Baruch Hashem and Vani Eftach Bach. The bottom line of everything is that we place our trust. Nabitachin and Hashem. Hashem should uh, give us the Kayach in all the areas and specifically to grant a miraculous report to Hanya Bas Brachad Verelea. I want to make a special mention of Reb Ira, who, uh, at the risk of flattery, somewhat of an impetus oh, to make sure yeah. I gave the class today before he went back to the Holy Land was in honor of Ira and uh, also of course as we all wish a special bracha to Avram and his new uh, endeavors should be so yesterday we read Parshas Vayetzeit to be precise uh, the Bar Mitzvah read Parshas Vayetzeit and uh, we find the Pasuk says Vayira, Vayoymer Yaakov wakes up and he says, This is a godly place. How awesome is this place? This is the house of God and this is the gateway to the heaven. And Rashi brings the Medrash, which says that Yaakov Ba'etzem had passed by. He had already, tr- he had already passed the place of Haramiria. And then he said, Could I have just gone past the place where my ancestors davened? And as we've mentioned before, the Rambam, that brings that this wasn't just his immediate ancestors of the Yitzchak and Avram, but even prior to that, Adam Arishim built a Mizbech over there, and Noyach built a Mizbech over there, etc. The Rambam says, This is a tradition that everybody accepts. So how could it be that I went past such a place and I didn't daven? So then he was going to go back to Haramiriah. He returned all the way till Beis-El. And then Haramiriah came to visit him in Beis-El, which was obviously a miraculous occurrence. So Hashem didn't want to do it for him. Hashem wanted him to do it. But once he had once he had already made the effort to turn around and head back to Haramiriah, so, so Hashem brought Haramiriah to him so that he could daven over there. Um, a little bit strange, perhaps. Like, what, was he, what was he thinking the first time round when he he passed by? I mean, he clearly knew that this was a special place. Why didn't he stop the first time round? So the Gurariya, the Maharal, in his commentary on Rashi oh. says that when he first passed Haramiria, he was escaping. He Esav was pursuing him, Alifaz Esav, and he was afraid to be caught by Esav, so he had to go. But once he already reached Haran, he realized by now the coast is probably clear and it's safe for me to go back. So Maral twists a little bit of a different, a more positive spin. It was like 14 years on the way somewhere else. He went to 
Well, yeah, that's a good point. Um, question is when, when, when did he pass Haramiria? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. No, it's a good, very good question. I didn't think of that. I could look back in the Gerarya and see if he puts them to the two together or not. Also, what about the fact that um, Ramban thinks that he went to says I shouldn't say think the Ramban writes that he went to the place where he davened from neither of those places he davened from. Where was the place that Yitzchak Davin has permission to go to Adavar Tisro? Gror in the Basel scale? No, Beisel. not Basel. Not Basel. It was somewhere else. Barely hiding No, it was somewhere south of Yerushalayim. Yeah, but the, he was south of Yerushalayim, but the Haramira came to him. The, the says that he there. He went there to ask if he could leave Eretz Yisrael altogether. Okay, good. The Ramban—that's the, the according to the Ramban—that's the pshat. But this is certainly Rashi brings this pshat, and certainly Chazal say this pshat. The Ramban doesn't doesn't clearly call Chazal. He just says what the difference in pshat is. Um, I, I don't recall that specific Ramban, but in general, okay. Um, so the pasuk says clearly, This is the gate to heaven. And uh, all the Mefar Chazal say, and even the Mefar Shem Al-Asar bring it about the tremendous uh, quality of davening in that specific area, in, this, in the area of the Harabayas of Haramiriya, that that's the gate where all prayers go through. Um, the Rambam says, the Rambam says in Mitzvah say Hey, which is the Mitzvah of Tefillah, but he already mentions there, the Mitzvah is to, 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 to pray, to daven in it or facing it. Now, for most of us, we're face, we're, we, daven, we don't daven in the Haram Ba'abais, in the Mokim HaMikdash. We daven mm. facing the Mokim HaMikdash. But the way the Rambam words it is the mitzvah is to daven in it and facing it. Agav is an interesting thing. You know, the, the, the famous joke of the person who stands by the Kaisal and he says, which way is Mizrach, right? But actually, it's not such a joke. And I wish Rabbi Yochanan was here because essentially... When you're facing the Kaisal, the Makim HaMikdash, the Kaidish HaKadoshim, is not directly in front of you, it's to your left. And so, technically, when I mean, it would be, be interesting for me to, to find out if we have a record of what the Friedrich Rebbe did, who was at the Daven at the Kaisal. But, uh, but technically, when one Daven's at the Kaisal, one should really be facing slightly to the left. Um, but anyway. It's interesting that uh, this this topic of going to pray and to ascending the Temple Mount is a very very uh, let's call it a hot topic, and in all the literature on it, um, even from those who are very pro going to the Temple Mount, I haven't seen that they bring this this episode of Yaakov going back there. Hasn't, but I would expect this specific uh, source to feature more prominently in in that in that literature. I'm not sure why it doesn't, but I, anyway, so. Historically, the Beis Hamikdash, the Mokim Hamikdash, was always a place for prayer. If you look in the beginning of Melachim um, Aleph in chapter Ches, chapter eight, where Shlomo Hamelach inaugurates the, the Beis Hamikdash, what does he talk about? He talks about this being a place where tefillahs, where prayer is going to be accepted. In, in uh, we have a statement from Chaz- a number of statements of Chazal Masech Smachas that are relevant to this point. I'll just pull out one or two. Um, it says over there that only built the base of Mikdash. That people should come there to daven. We find this throughout um, Tanakh in many places. In Divrei Hayomim, two chapter twenty, you have um, 
you have the, the, the tefillah of Yehoshaphat, the, 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 the gather, the, 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 the sort of the, the, fun- the, the function of the Beis HaMikdash is a place of prayer, which by the way, it's interesting, there's a famous machloikas between the Rambam and the Ramban about what the, again, how they determine what is the factor for um, the, 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 the definition of the Beis HaMikdash. The Ramban says that it's a place for Hashra's Hashchina, for God's presence to rest. And the Rambam starts off in Hilchis Beis HaBachira, Mitzvah Sasei, Livnis Ba'is L'Hashem, Mochad L'Yus Makrivim Bo'Karbanis. That it's a mitzvah to build a house to, to, to offer Karbanis to Hashem. So, uh, I believe, it's interesting, that I, I think that this fits with the Rambam, the idea of Tfilis Kanega Tamidim, prayer and Karbanis are very much uh, two sides of the same coin. And we have all these sources, even in Tanakh already, talking about the Beis HaMikdash being a place for prayer, which matches with the Rambam talking about the Beis HaMikdash being a place for Karbanas. Of course, throughout Tanakh, we have throughout Tanakh, there's many stories, Tfilis is in the Mishkan, Chizkiyot HaMelech's prayer, Yirmiyot talks about everyone coming, etc., etc. There's one source from Masech Tismachus which, stri- which uh, caught my attention specifically, um, because, as we'll see soon, Contemporary, those who go up to the Harabais and, and 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 those who pray over there, they're not actually going into the Mokim Mikdash, into the area of the Mikdash. They're staying in the outer perimeter of the Harabais. Now, so obviously, on a, on, on a generic level, obviously the Esa Kedushas Hain, and the closer you get to the Kedusha Kedushim, the holier those grounds are. But the Harabais is more holy than the rest of Eretz Yisrael, and more. Uh, appropriate, susceptible for prayer, at least in theoretical. Obviously, we're going to present the different sides of the argument, but at least in theory, that's a, a, a very important point. But until now, all the sources talk about specifically the Mokim HaMikdash being a place for prayer. One of the sources of the Masech Tosmachos caught my attention because it says over there that people, when you, you, whenever you go into the Harabais, into the Beis HaMikdash, for any reason, you go around and you come out to your right, with the exception of three people who go to the left, and they are an avil, a manuda, and mishi yesh lechel Somebody who's an, a mourner, somebody who is a nidu, somebody who's being excommunicated, and um, somebody who has a sick person in his home, in his household. Why these three people? Because anybody seen walking the, against traffic, they say, excuse me, sir, why are you going the wrong way? And he might say, oh, well, I'm an avil, and then they would have the opportunity to comfort him. And he might say, oh, I'm a manuda, and, I might, and then they, I'm excommunicated, and they would have the opportunity to encourage him to better his ways, and it's a whole discussion. Um, or <coughs> he might say, oh, I have a sick member of my family, and they would say, that the people would pray for the well-being of this person. And then the Zechtesmachas, the, 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 whatever it is, the Brisa says, there's a story with one woman, that her daughter was sick, but also she went up, and she, I think it means she walked around the perimeter of the Harabais, but she was, it seems like she was going so that people should confront her, and that was a way of, you know, now we send out WhatsApps, everyone daven for so-and-so. That was the way of garnering attention. So she, she, she went up just for the sole purpose, it seems, of walking around the Harabais against traffic. She didn't, uh, she, didn't, she didn't move from there, in other words, she was still right there in her tracks when the news came that her daughter had been healed. So this would be an explicit source in Chazal about the importance of prayer in the Harabais. And effectiveness. 
right? Yeah, 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 100%. She, she, got, she got a text message or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what's up? What's up? Now, <coughs> of course, the Mishkan itself has many... Um, <coughs> it starts off in the Midbar and then goes to Shiloh, given, but then the ultimate, the, 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 the end is the base of Mikdash in Yerushalayim. And during the time of the Beis Amikdash, obviously it was a place of bustling with traffic. Now the truth is that we find, um, even post-Khurban, even after the destruction of the Beis Amikdash, that it remained a place with um, frequent, let's call it pilgrims. Um, we'll mention a few stories. At the end of Masech Tosmachus, perhaps this is the most famous one, we have the story of Rabbi Kiva and his um, friends and his colleagues um, walking in Yerushalayim and witnessing a Shuali fox coming out from the Mokim Hamikt from the from the place of the Kodesh Hakadoshim, and then the famous story how they were crying and he was laughing and he saw in it the, he was optimistic and he saw in it the, the 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 fulfillment of the negative prophecies and thereby the um, heralding the fulfillment of the positive prophecies. But we see from there that they were uh, they were in the Mokim Hamikdash, right? They were they were that's why they were. Similarly, the Yerushalmi talks about um, the place at what we'll see soon. One of the mitzvahs associated with the Harabais is Moira Mikdosh, is behaving in a way which is appropriate in awe of the Mokim, of the, of the Shechina that is present over there, as the Rambam words it. And one of those mitzvahs are that you're not allowed to go with your shoes over there. So the, we'll talk more about that soon. But the Yerushalmi Msachim talks about the place outside the threshold of the Harabais where they would all leave their shoes. So you could see that it was a, it, 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 they weren't talking about something that used to happen, they were talking about something that happens. Now, um, it's interesting to point out um, that in the times of the Amiroim, uh, again, I'm not going to go through all the exact history of the different governments that ruled over the Temple Mount and the various changes and structures that they made and implemented and built over there. It's all available online. If anybody wants to further research the topic, I'm happy to provide you with uh, any... I mean, I've been researching a lot, so I, I, I'm happy to sh share with you sources. Uh, what I intend to do today is not to do an exhaustive um, sort of uh, thorough study of the entire topic because I want to try, I would like to try, I hope to try to keep it into one class. I'm hoping it might may go a little bit over the usual time, but I would like to keep it to one class. But again, if anybody's more interested, I'm happy to share with you some links and other resources to, to, to review. Um, but And you could also, the history of it, all the different governments, again, that were in charge and what they did is very interesting. But in the times of the Amiraim, the ruins of the Beis Hamikdash were still obvious and visible. There was no mosque, there was no other structures that were still um, in the ruins of the Beis Hamikdash. And we find this also in the in in the um, in the in the historical writings of the Christians. We, we we find record of a lot of these things. One of the famous sources from Christian sources that comes up over here is the Pilgrim of Bordeaux. I think is how it's pronounced. And he talks a lot, he talks about the Jews coming there once a year. There was a time when the government only allowed the Jews to go there once a year, which was on Tisha B'av, to. Um, to to to, to mourn the korban over there. It's also important to point out that, as we'll see soon, one of the issues is people being tommy lames, being 
um, having the level of impurity that one contracts when being in contact with a dead body, which the assumption is today that everybody has that. Everybody's either been to a cemetery or been under one roof with a dead body in a hospital or whatever it is. Um, and we do not have the ashes of the paraduma to um, to purify from that. However, it, 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 there, there are numerous sources which seem to indicate that as late as quite late actually into within into the generation of the into the generations of the Amiroim, they still had access to the Paraduma. So when you talk about stories of Tanoim and Amiroim being in the Harabayas, one has to remember that they presumably did have were pure even from Thomas Mass, which is something which we're not able to do um, nowadays. Now the Madras says that so until now we've been talking about we have we have people who are going to pray there, etc. Now then, there's the mitzvah of aliyah l'regel. Now aliyah, the mitzvah of aliyah l'regel is that three times a year, every male has to go into the base of mikdash and walk up there by foot and bring a carbon, etc. Now the madrash says this is not a halacha. This is a madrash. The madrash says that um, even though a number of midrashim in different words, but the gist of it is that even though we no longer have the mitzvah of aliyah l'regal, nevertheless, the Jewish people never stopped doing aliyah l'regal. Um, and we find many sources, um, specifically if you want more sources to look this up, in Encyclopedia Talmudis, under the entry of Kaisel, he brings many, many sources for this, that there was always an, a sort of zeicher, a sort of idea of aliyah l'regal, where people would go to Yerushalayim, to the Kaisal, possibly even into the Harabayas um, on Yom Tevim. Until today, we find, in addition to obviously there being a much larger presence in, on the Harabayas, nowadays it's past Pesach, I believe the numbers were close to 5,000 Jews going mm-hmm. on to the Harabayas, but certainly there's many, I believe, tens of thousands of Jews going to the Kaisal on Yom Tev, on Pesach, on Sukkot, and even on Shavuos, if Shavuos is a little bit more difficult. Um, and that's all in remembrance for the, uh, the, the, the mitzvah of the Ragal. And actually, this is related to today, or tonight, to be precise. Because in Chutzlaret, tonight, we start saying Vesein Talamater. Now, when do they start saying Vesein Talamater in Eretz Yisrael? On the 7th of Cheshun. Why the 7th of Cheshun? So, the, 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 the way the Alter Rebbe explains it, this is in the beginning of Simon Kufi Yudayin in Alter Rebbe Shulchan Aruch. That really, we ought, the, in Eretz Yisrael, they ought to have started saying Vesein Talamater immediately after Sukkot, but they wait till Zion Cheshun, because that's how long it took the last pilgrims to get home. And the Altar Rebbe adds over there that even though nowadays there's no Aliyah Ragal, nevertheless, still, people always come to travel <coughs> to Yerushalayim for Yom Tif, and therefore we still wait that amount of time. I'm paraphrasing. Um, so we see that the idea of Aliyah Ragal was, um, w- w- even though the mitzvah, the strict mitzvah of Aliyah Ragal perhaps doesn't apply, but, uh, but, but, but as much as possible we can. Now, this... One moment, yes. One moment. So... Uh, here's a very, very important caveat to add, because obviously those people who are pro-proponents of going up to the Temple Mount, one of the things they <coughs> invoke is the importance of going up on Yom Tif. However, there are two very important things to be aware of. Number one, the strict mitzvah on the other angle, like I said, is to go into the Mokhem HaMikdash, right? Now, nowadays we're not allowed to go, everybody agrees, even the biggest, uh, the most extreme right religious Zionist groups will agree that it's forbidden nowadays to go into the Mokhem HaMikdash. So you can't actually do the mitzvah of Aliyah the Regal um, nowadays. So while, while you might see in some of their, uh, you know, in some of their materials, oh yeah, it's a mitzvah of Aliyah the Regal, 
it's not really the mitzvah of Aliyah Ragal, it's some sort of zecher of the mitzvah of Aliyah Ragal, which one can also accomplish by going to Yerushalayim, or to the Kaisal, or to, the, to other places. Now, obviously, they'll argue that the, more, the, the closer you can get, the better. Fair enough, but it should just be taken with a pinch of salt. On the other side, on the other side I've seen arguments from people against going to the Harabai saying, oh, this is such nonsense, what are they talking about, Aliyah Ragal, there's no such thing, and clearly there is such thing. There is this, these Midrashim, there is the ideas that there's still uh, as much as possible to try and, and, and resemble the Aliyah Ragal. However, there's a very, very important, um, uh, another sort of caveat is that Though all year round, if a person were to go beyond the perimeter where one is allowed to go, let's say into the Makam Amikdosh, it would be, according to the Rambam, certainly, and we'll see more details in a moment, of a Chi of Karis, and that would be true all year round. If one were to go there on Yom Tif, there would be an additional violation of, perhaps, of the Yerol Fon Of There's a negative prohibition that when you come on Yom Tif, you're not allowed to come without a carbon. Now, and some, um, some groups of, uh, again, of the I don't mean this in a disparaging way, I'm just saying in the, that's what we call them, the sort of extreme right religious Zionist groups, they're trying to re-implement Karbanis as well. But um, without, we, we've done a class on that topic before, it's on the YouTube channel, but, um, but without, without that being, Lamai said that's not a possibility nowadays, everybody agrees, with, in fact nobody has actually done it in recent history that I'm aware of. Um, and so, if they were to go into the Mokam Amikdash on Yom Tev, in addition to the general Chiv Karis, there may be an additional pro- violation of the Yerof Anirikam of coming to the Beis Amikdash without a carbon. Yes, Yosef. What's the concern? Maybe you already addressed this, but you mentioned the, the Tomei Mace factor. Yeah, I'm going to get into more details soon. Yeah, okay. Uh, I'm sort of giving, I'm, I'm trying to give first the sort of historical background of what's been going on on Temple Mount in a very generic way since the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash until today, and then I'm going to get more halachic, yes. Is that, is that the Isser uh, of going into the Makam Beis HaMikdash, is lo samudifanai reikam? That is a prohibition to go on Yomtev. On Yomtev you're not allowed to come without the carbon. Okay. Uh, but there's, a, there's, there's other, other yeah, we're going to get to that in a okay. moment. And in addition to the, to, the, to the prohibitions of going there while in a state of impurity, which are the same all year round, on Yom Tov there may be an additional violation of coming without the carbon. A person is not allowed to come into the base of Mikdash on Yom Tov without the carbon. Okay, and where, where when they do these uh, um, trips up to the, the Harabais, yeah. where, where are they going? Okay, we're, we're going to go through all of this. Okay. Okay. Um, Another, another very important. Um, let's see. Another two very important sources um, are as follows. First of all, there are numerous sources which suggest, which indicate. Um, perhaps one of the most important ones to suggest to bring is the book from Abavram Barchia Hanosi, who was uh, 11th and 12th century in Spain, a very prominent. Um, he famously wrote the. I think it's called the Sefer Abris, with all the Rambam bases, a lot of his Kiddush HaKadosh on that. Anyway, so he describes, as well as, well as many others, that there was actually an active shul for many, for many hundreds of years post-Kurban, there was an active shul on the Harabais. Um, again, it's not clear exactly where it was. I think there's some indication that it may have been where the Al-Aqsa Mosque is today, um, which is not, not to be confused with the Dome of the Rock. Dome of the well, again, uh, we're going to get to everything the way it is currently soon. Just, uh, but, but, but there was a, a shul on the Harabais, and it's clear that that was a place where Jews used to go in Daven. Is that brought down again? There's numerous sources for this. I, I can, I'm happy to provide them to you afterwards. Okay. Now then, 
so that's um, that we have from Avraham Bachianosi. Um, actually, you, got, you may remember when I came back from Eretz a few months ago, I told you about the tour guide that um, that I met over there and how impressed I was with him. So anyway, I spoke to him this week and I asked him about his thoughts on this whole topic. And uh, he emailed me this book that he wrote on this topic, which provided me with um, some very invaluable sources. I also had Bahashkacha Pratis, and thank you to the Duke's family. I had Bahashkacha Pratis, somebody staying by me yesterday for Shabbos, who has, um, I think, close to 20 years' experience in, uh, uh, in leadership roles in the Israeli army, and I was able to get his, um, his perspective on it, both from political and a military um, angle, so that was very insightful as well. Now, there is a famous letter from the Rambam, which talks about how he went to the Harabites. Now, the letter of the Rambam is not entirely clear, but w- l- l- let me first tell you what he does say, and then we'll see what he doesn't say. What he does say is, and of course, here it is, I'm going to read to you the words of the Rambam. He talks about the time that he was in Eretz Yisrael, and he writes, "The Yom Shlishi B'Shabbos on Tuesday, Arba Yom Neirach Macheshven on the fourth day of the month of Macheshven, Shnas Shisha Ve'Esim Niyatira in the year twenty-six of creation, which means eleven thousand and twenty-eight. It means uh, means um, uh, where are we? It means five five thousand twenty-six or four? Yeah." Anyway, we, we, we left Akko um, to go to Yerushalayim. Tachas Akone was a great danger. I'm not sure if the danger was uh, probably bandits on the highways or maybe there was uh, the government didn't allow it, but whatever, they, they endangered themselves to go from Akko to Jerusalem. I went into the, holy, to the great and holy house and I davened in it. On Thursday, the sixth day of Cheshav. Now, it doesn't say exactly where he went. He went into the Holy House. Obviously, the Beis Amikdash wasn't there. Perhaps there was still a shul there in the times of the Rambam. It's unclear. Now, it's clear that the Rambam did not go into the actual Mokim Hamikdash because the Rambam himself, as we s- will see soon, paskins that there would be a of Kores to go into the Mokim Hamikdash. So he doesn't mean that he went into the Mokim Hamikdash, but it does imply that he went somewhere it seems to be assumed that it was on the Harabayas, although it's not clear exactly where it was. And he writes, then he goes on about when he went to Hebron, and then he says, these two days, which are the 6th and ninth of Macheshans, which are the days that he was in the Harabayas and Hebron, respectively, in the Maris and I made a vow, they should be for me like a Yomtif. They have prayer with Simcha Hashem and rejoicing in Hashem and eating and drinking. So we see that to the Rambam, um, one of the most significant days in his life was the day on which he was able to go and pray on the Harabites. Okay. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Now, so this was going on for many hundreds of years after the Khurban. And at some point, um, certainly, uh, um, I don't know if entirely, but certainly in very, very, very much in, by, by the Crusades, this whole, the access of Jews to the Temple Mount completely ceased. 
and for many many years this was a new top, a new topic, <coughs> wasn't a relevant topic, was nothing to talk about until Tov Shin Chavzayin in 1967, after the Six Day War, where the uh, where we regained access and control um, to some level on the Harabais, and then this was you know a world uh, shaking event what do we do with a temple mount now basically this was a major major machlekes and it still is and many many people very pro saying how this is the most important mitzvah we must go to the temple mount as much as possible we must go down there etc etc and others saying this is the most um, terrible thing one should stay far away from it Spoiler, that was the Rebbe's approach, and we're going to talk more about the Rebbe's approach um, later. Um, more or less, I will say more or less, it's a split down party lines. In other words, you could more or less assume that anyone sort of what we call Haredi black hatters are going to be against it, and the more Zionists are going to be more pro it, but it's not completely that way. Um, just, I'll, I'll tell you some interesting, um, some interesting stats. First of all, Rav Cook was very against it, vehemently against mm. it, even though there are those who are the, who are pro it, who um, try to say that Rav Kook didn't actually mean what, uh, either he didn't mean exactly what he said, or if he did mean it, it was only relevant then, but now times have changed. Obviously, I'm no expert on Rav Kook to, to, to make an opinion on that. He was but before we got access to it. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure he was before, he was, he was m- m- way before um, 1967. So, uh, obviously, within if you within the Zionist camps, you will find people claiming, even family members of Rav Cook, claiming that he would have been for it in today's day and age. But from his written word, he was certainly against it. Um, there are there are there are the, um, there are some Haredi, ra- there are other Zionist rabbis. Again, the, I'm not so familiar with all the names, but there are some very prominent Zionist rabbis who were very against it. Um, again, I can give you the lists afterwards if you'd like. Um, and also on the Haredi side, there are some who are for it. Um, specifically, in honor of Ari, I will mention that Rav Moshe Tendler has been to the Harabais many times, um, and yeah, he cla- well, he did, well, what he what he claims is that, and uh, he claims that Rav Moshe was for it as well. Oh. Um, perhaps not Haredi, but certainly not associated with the extreme Zionists. Right. Um, and another interesting one is Rav Herschel Schachter. Herschel Schachter was very Zionist, but certainly not uh, not in sort of what we would associate as the, the, the extreme right Zionist. Um, but Rav Herschel Schachter is against going to Harabais, but only in deference to the Rabbanut, because the chief rabbinate of Israel forbids it. So he says that we have to listen to the Rabbanut, but he says, you know, in theory, he would be open to the idea. Now, the interesting thing is that at the time of the Six-Day War in 1967, um, both the Ashkenazi and the Sephardi chief rabbi were absolutely against going to the Harabais. That's r- after Christ, we're going specifically we're going to the Temple Mount. Temple Mount. Mount. We'll, we'll talk more about the details in a moment. Uh, both both the Sephardi and the Ashkenazi chief rabbi, um, rabbi were against it. And to my knowledge, that has never changed. In other words, the position of the chief rabbinate has always been, been against it. Rabbi Fadi Yosef was certainly very against it. Um, however, Rav Goren, who did later become the chief rabbi, but at the time of the Six-Day War, he was the chief rabbi of the army. He, first of all, he, want, he did want to consider build, rebuilding the shul on the Harabais. But more to the point, and I think it's a big shame that, he wasn't, uh, that his position was not followed, was he wanted to evacuate the premises 
lock it all up, and say, let's have, let's have, um, let's let, let's wait to you know, let's wait till things calm down, and let's make a, let, let's have meetings and figure out what to do with this. And if the maskana of the meeting is going to be that Jews should not be up there, well, then certainly nobody else should be up there. Um, and so he was almost like a middle ground. And, uh, well, he himself wanted there should be a shul there, but he was saying, even if not, there shouldn't be anybody else. That's what I understand his position. And I think it's a big shame on multiple levels that that wasn't done. Because, first of all, because it wasn't done, we now have the st- status quo that we have, which there's no way out of in the near <laughs> yeah. But B, um, everybody agrees from all camps that's what's currently, f- that, that, that in other words, there's, there's, there's religious Jews who ask their rabbis what to do and follow their, their, their psaq. So if you ask a rov, you, if your rov is against, the against. If your rov is for, then you might go, go up to the rabbis. But there's also many, many people who go there who are not asking any shilas, both Jews and lahavdil, um, Muslims and Christians and doing all sorts of things there, which are piyalacha in the Mokam HaMikdash, in the place of the Kodesh HaKadashim, and it's being desecrated. And everybody agrees that if in 1967, it would have been possible to evacuate all of that, um, and that would not be going on today. I mean, perhaps, I don't know why they didn't listen to Ramkar, and perhaps there were very good reasons not to, I'm not an expert on that, but anyway, I'm just presenting the the different um, the different uh, in general okay. got a lot of pushback. Yeah, well, right. yeah, we're not going to get into a whole Ramkar <laughs> bashing today. What is the um, Dome of the Rock? Oh, 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 okay, okay. So, um, we have to now present the facts, the, the just the, the geographical facts, and of course the halacha. So, the adra- geographical facts are as follows. Um, there is, famously, the Dome of the Rock. And there is what's called the Temple Mount area. Now, the Temple Mount area today is about three times... Okay, let, let's go back a second. The Mishnah says, and the Rambam says, that the area of the Har Habayis, of the halachic Har Habayis. Now, from now on, for the rest of the class, we're going to use two words differently. There's going to be Har Habayis, and there's going to be Temple Mount. Har Habayis, I'm going to be referring to the halachic Temple Mount, and Temple Mount is what's, in fact, the whole thing called today the Temple Mount. The Har Habayis is 500 amas by 500 amas. That's about approximately 750 feet by 750 feet. And that's a square. The current Temple Mount is, I think, double, perhaps even triple that, um, and I think it's about 1,500 feet by 1,500, at least, anyway, it's very big. And the reason why it's so much bigger is because Herod extended it. Mm-hmm. Now, Herod um, did not have the authority to extend it halachically, as the Rambam explains in Hilchus Beis Abichira, that to extend the Kedusha of the Harabais, it has to be done with a king and a Novi and a Rimbetumim and a, a whole procedure, which obviously King Herod did not have. So while he extended the Temple Mount, the Harabais, the sanctity of the Harabais remains 500 amas by 500 amas. Now, the halacha is Esar Kedusha saying there are 10 levels of sanctity in the world. Obviously, the top of it is the Kodesh HaKadoshim, the Malkin Ma'aren, the place where the Kodesh HaKadoshim was. Then you have the Heichal, the Azara, the Harabayas, etc. And there's numerous halachas that apply to, you know, as you go down in degrading, in, in down in the levels of Kedusha, there's lesser ha- halachas. So, for example, um, the, you're not allowed to... Uh, in, so, so, so let's start from, from the beginning. In the Kodesh HaKadoshim, in, in the Malkin HaMikdosh, Right, anybody whose tummy mess is not allowed to go into the Mokim Hamikdash, into the area from the Azora, from 
uh, a picture of the base of Mikdash, but basically from the here, here you have a, a picture of the base of Mikdash where you see the inside structure is the Kodesh HaKadoshim, the Heichel, and this is the Azara, the Mizbeach is here. This whole area, this is the Ezra Shlashim, that's... What's Azara? Azara is here, that's what the Mizbeach was, mm-hmm. this is the Ezra Shlashim. So this area, just the, the, the Shar Nukunar is here. No, Shar Nukunar is here. Um, but basically this whole area of the Makkah and Mikdash, a person is not allowed to go into if they are Tomei Meis. Yes, but not, uh, not, not, but not uh, most of it, but not all of it. Now, and even Kohanim, only in the time of the Surah, when they're actually um, doing the service there. Just by the fact that hold, hold, hold on, hold on one second. Hold on. Um, yeah. Okay. Now, but, uh, so in the Torah you have Machne Shechina, Machne Levi, Machne Yisrael. So in the desert, that was Machne Shechina was the area where the Mishkan is. Machne Levi is the, encamp- the, the, the camp of the Levi around the Mishkan. Machne Yisrael was the outside perimeter where the rest of the Jews were. Now, that corresponds in Yerushalayim to the Mokham HaMikdash, the Harabayas, and the rest of Yerushalayim. So the halacha is that a Tmei Mess is not allowed to be anywhere within the Mokim HaMikdash, I mean the Rabbanon, that's extended all the way till the Chel. The Chel is sort of the inner area of the Harabais. But, but without getting into all the details right now, the point is that the, if, you, if you're thinking of the square of the Harabais, so there is the central point, which is actually, it's not the middle of the square, but conceptually, let's think about it that way, there is the middle of the square where that that area, which is the Mokim HaMikdash, the Azara, the Chel, etc., a person is not allowed to go into even if he's, if a person is not allowed to go into if he's a Tmei Mess, if he's Tamei um, from a dead body and that we um, we, uh, we everybody today is Tmei Mess, so that's out of the question now, then you have the outside, the next level is the Harabais, which is anywhere from there until the rest of that 500 by 500 Amma square and there, a person is allowed to go if they're Tmei Mess. Not only a Tmei Mess, but a Mess itself is allowed to go is there. Is the Ezra Snashim considered part of that first square? Yes, yes. Okay. Uh, at least Midr Abonon. I don't think it's Midr Aisa, but certainly Midr Abonon it is. Um, Part of the square that you're not allowed to go in. From the chel and on, it's Mass is not allowed to go in. I believe, if I'm not, if, I, if I'm, if I'm recalling correctly, on a biblical level, the prohibition for Tmei Mass would only be in from the Azara, but um, but it's extended all the way to the chel. Um, and then, then, but on the Harabais, Tmei Mass is allowed to go. But the person who's not allowed to go there is what we call somebody who's Tuma Yotza Olav Migufay. Somebody who has who is impure because of something that is um, uh, extracted from their body, which basically means zav zava nido yoldus and also a balkari. Which in a moment I'll go through what those things are. I just need to st- make one more important point that um, <coughs> this is all everything that we said until now is taken for granted to apply in the time that the base hamikdash is there. The question is. What about nowadays when there is no Beis HaMikdash? So the Rambam Paskins, that nothing has changed. That even though the Beis HaMikdash is not there, the Kedusha is still there, um, and the Chiyuv Kharis still applies. The Ravid, he doesn't like this Rambam at all, and he says, This is the Rambam's own, he made this up himself, I don't know where he gets this from. Rather, um, 
the, there's no kedusha on in not no kedusha. There's no chiyuv karis. He says on the on on the, on the makom amik nowadays. And where does he get this from? This was revealed to me uh, by Ruach HaKadosh. This is why Hashem told me this. So it's interesting that he blames the Rambam for making it up, and then he says that Hashem told him this. But anyway, yeah, he didn't make it up. <laughs> <laughs> but the the Ravid, again, this is this whole sugya of the Machlokes Rambam and the Ravid could be could be and maybe will be a topic for its own entire share. It's a fascinating topic. But just the bottom line of that Machlokes is as follows. Rav Minyan opinion, the vast majority of Paskim accept the Rambam Mahalacha, that's A. B, even according to the Ravid, all the Ravid says explicitly is that there's no Chi of Kares. Um, but there are some who would still maintain that the Rambam holds, the Ravid agrees that it's biblically forbidden, and others who say that the Ravid would hold this rabbinically forbidden, and yet there are some who say that the Ravid would hold this permissible. But um, the What's bottom the line is. Practical application of Kares otherwise, though. Well, the the the, the 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 practical application is that when something is a chiyuv kares, we treat it with much more severity than we treat even another biblical thing. So, for example, we've discussed this at length in the past. The Rebbe's directive in the end of the 1960s and early 70s that people should leave Yerushalayim um, to be b'derech chayka on Pesach because, because to be chayshish to those opinions that one does have a chiyuv to bring a carbon Pesach nowadays was the reason the Rebbe wrote explicitly that the reason he's taking this so seriously, even though it's a very, uh, perhaps, extreme Chumrah, is because it's a Chi of Kares, right? So, again, we're not getting into the Machlokes, we don't have time to get into the whole Machlokes, Rambam and Ravid now. The bottom line is that um, the vast majority of Paschim do accept the Rambam as binding. And so, the point is that we can't go into the Mokim HaMikdosh, we cannot go into the Mokim HaMikdosh um, at all, but, strict, at least in theory, as long as a person has not a Zav, Zav, Nida, Yildus, Balkari, then they could go into the Har Habais, not just into the Temple Mount, even to the Har Habais. Now, let's go through those things. Actually, before we go through those things, gonna, we'll, we'll go through those things in a moment. Uh, when, when you look at, the, when you Google or look around at the topic of going to the Har Habais, so, um, perhaps even the majority of the discussion revolves around determining the Mokim HaMikdash because there are essentially four different opinions as to where the Mokim HaMikdash is the most famous opinion is that the Dome of the Rock basically we have the dimensions of the Beis HaMikdash it's in the Mishnah, it's in the Ramam, we know the dimensions of the Beis HaMikdash so as soon as you know where any one given place uh, if, you, if you were to accept that the Dome of the Rock is the Kodesh HaKadoshim so then you can you, you can build the rest around it, and you know where the Mokim HaMikdash is. The problem is that there are four um, there are four different opinions as to how where to situate the the Mokim HaMikdash, and a lot of the discussion um, here you can see where we have th- these are four pictures of the Temple Mount and. These are the four opinions of where the halachic harabais would be. So, this, um, yeah, right. So you can see how you basically, if you take here, you don't see the squares. But the point is that if you to take all of these opinions into account, then much of the harab, much of the Temple Mount area is going to be harabais, at least according to one opinion. Um, so that a lot of the discussion revolves around that. 
um, much of the discussion revolves around that. However, two, I want to say two things. First of all, um, first of all, that nowadays, again, I, I'm really not an expert on this. I haven't. Uh, I'm just sort of repeating what I've managed to gather. But nowadays, there seems to be virtually no doubt on the, the sort of traditional opinion that, like you mentioned, that the Dome of the Rock is the Mokim, is the Evan Ashesia. Nowadays. Uh-huh. Nowadays. And the reason why um, that has become so clear nowadays was, first, two things. First of all, the, 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 the Masoira, that the Dome of the Rock is the Evan Ashesia, has always been attributed to the Radvaz. Now, the Radvaz, who's one of the famous um, writers on this topic, lived... Uh, approximately 500 years ago, give or take, right? However, nowadays we know, based on manuscripts that have been discovered, etc., that the tradition that the har- that, that the Evan is the, the, the Dome of the Rock is the Evan has been is much much older than the Radvaz, and it, it, it has been a non. This has been a tradition going back for thousands of years. There's record of this in Jewish writings, the Havdalah non-Jewish writings. It seems to be a historical fact that's impossible to. To deny that that was always uh, the tradition that everybody shared. When you say that's yes, a, you mean that dome was there before? The dome was there before? The, not not the, the dome, dome on top, but the rock. The yeah. Location. Yeah. Okay. There, there is underneath that. There is a rock that protrudes from the mountain. That is that. Um, that's a B. They've done what I believe is called t- uh, typographic typography typographic studies of the mountain. And basically, in the Mishnah, you have, it doesn't just talk about the area of where things were, it talks about the level. So between, there's this Nashim and there's this Shrol, there's steps that are this high and then that high. So we know the height of all the different areas of the Beis HaMikdash compared to each other. And what they're saying is that the only place on the mountain that is possible to place the Kodesh HaKadoshim that would make sense with the Mishnah based on the studies of the mountain is that the Dome of the Rock is the Kodesh HaKadoshim. There is no other way. Now, from what the literature that I've seen and researching this topic, that's always where I come. I always come that nowadays we know for sure that that is the case. I haven't seen it. Could be there are. It could be there are other scholars who who um, defend the other positions. And again, I'm not the expert, and they might say they they'll tell me their reason why they don't think the topography of the mountain is accurate or not relevant or whatever it is. Again, I'm not expert on this topic, but there does seem to be a, a certainly a vast majority consensus that we do know where the Malkam HaMikdash was based on the Dome of the Rock. That's it. Now, it, regardless of, of that, in other words, even if you do want to take all the Chumras into account, one can, we can, at least in theory, have this discussion today without that. Because even if you take all the four Shittas into account, there are areas of the Har Habayis that we know for sure are okay according to everyone. It's very minimal, but there are such areas. And if you look over here in this picture... Um, so it's it's a bit a little bit hard to see, and I'm, I would like to make this less visual because I want the recording to make sense as well. But in this picture, I'm just trying to find the gimel. Aleph base dalit gimel. There we go. So this is a picture of the Temple Mount, and here you see Aleph base gimel dalit, which are the four opinions of where the Kodesh Hashem are. And here you have, if you could see, the arrows going around which is a route that would include areas, it would certainly include some areas of the Harabayas and at the same time avoid any opinion of where the Mokham HaMikdash is. So there is a possible route um, to take and do that. Um, so, okay, so we, we have a Temple Mount. Uh, 
we have a harabais where we could go the holidays as long as you're not again in theory as long as you're not zov zov and nindu yodus balkari and uh, we want to go and daven that right so what, what what do we have to do so first of all the most important thing to do is um, get rid of zov zov and nindu yodus balkari now so two of those are relevant to men, three of them are to women. Zava, Nida, Yildas. Nida, Zava and Nida are... I'm just trying to think where to start from. Um, you know, let, let's actually start from a man, it'll be easier that way. Okay, so we have a Zav and a Balkari. A Balkari means a man who's had a seminal omission for any reason at any time. If a person has any seminal omission, they are a Balkari. A Zav is also some kind of seminal emission. However, it is an unhealthy one. Now, it's not clear exactly what Zov is. There's a lot of talk about it in Chazal. Um, some argue that it is some form of a STD. Perhaps there's other definitions of it. The question is, nowadays, do we have to, if, if a person doesn't know that he's a Zov, does he have to concern himself that he might be a Zov without knowing it? Um, which is a topic which we've actually mentioned in the past in the context of, if you remember that story of the person who forgot to take separate challah from the bread that he baked for Erev Pesach that fell on Shabbos, and the Kohen had to eat it, so we, t- we touched upon it over there. It seems that the, the majority consensus is that one does not have to consider a concern, if, that if a person was a Zav, he would know it, and otherwise there's no reason um, to, to, to concern for that. There are those who do take this into account, and again, those who are against the Harabais may present this as part of their package that, you know, you, you might be a Zov. Now, the reason why that's so relevant is because while it's relatively easy or certainly doable to become pure from Balkari, it's not so simple to become pure from Zov. Um, it would require for a man to count Shiva um, which um, to count seven days of not having a Zov, which wouldn't really be a problem, it just has to be done. And also he would have to toivel not in a mikveh, but in a spring. A zav has to toivel in a spring, which, again, is also doable, it's just another area of complication. Well, why would you think you're a zav? Like, isn't we, you would see some kind of strange discharge, right? Yeah, but maybe it happened and you didn't notice. Okay, that's a, there's a whole discussion in the poskim um, that uh, you, you know for sure that 20 years ago you never had anything during the sleep and you didn't notice. You don't know for sure. Oh, so they need Zion Nikim. Yeah. Okay. Even if it was 20 years ago, if you, if you never did Zion Nikim and Toivald in a mine, you're still a Zov. Um, now, Balkeri is, is more simple, but perhaps not as simple as you might think. Now, uh, all a Balkeri has to do is go to Mikvah. However, one ha- Balkeri would have to, in order to go into the Harabite, when we go to Mikvah nowadays, so we go on Erev Shabbos, you go every day, there's different customs of how to do it. You go Erev uh, Yom Kippur, Erev Yom but uh, it, it's a minhag and even kippur maybe it's a halacha halacha derabbanon. We're certainly not talking about the rises about biblical prohibitions, and therefore we're lenient. We go we, we, we go to mikvah. We're not careful. Um, everybody kn- knows the laws of mikvah about how a woman has to prepare for mikvah with all the details that that entails of the chafifa and and preparing and having somebody inspect them that their body is actually clean and watching them observe them toivel. Um, that they go, uh, that they're completely under the water, and perhaps making a bracha. In other words, there's numerous, numerous halachas and details which most men are not familiar with extensively, which women nowadays do them, but men 
never do that because we go to mikvah, whether you go for tefillah says, or for whatever reason you go to mikvah, we don't do it in all those details. That's number one. Number two is what mikvah are you going to? There are many mikvahs for men um, which, um, which do not have all the chumras and all the hidurim which we have when we build a mikvah for women. Because when we, for a woman who's going to mikvah, it's relevant on a deraisa and even on a chiv karis level, so we make sure to have all the nuts and bolts in place. For a man's mikvah, we're not going to be as machmer. So if a man wants to go into the Temple Mount and purify from himself from Balkari, it's not just a simple, oh, go to mikvah and you're, you're good to go. You have to find a mikvah that is for certainly kosher on a deraisa level, and you would have to make all the preparations. Uh, with all the details and detailed details that are involved in that. And, um, to top it off, there are some shittas that would hold that a full yoyim is not allowed to go to, which what that means is that after you go to mikvah, you have to wait until the next day. And if you have to wait until the next day, um, so you have to go to mikvah today, you're going to go tomorrow. Now you have to make sure that between now and tomorrow, you're also not going to have a, a seminal mission. And some extreme shittas take that even as that uh, the halacha is, that if somebody goes to the bathroom, if somebody urinates, and um, there is some element of white in the urine, so then there may be a chashash of Belkeri. This is mentioned in the Rambam in Halacha. So the question is, what does that mean practically nowadays? Is that something that we have to concern ourselves with or not? But these are just added levels of intricacies into the halachic complications. But at least in theory, um, we could purify ourselves from Belkeri. Um, that's doable. Again, it's not as simple as just going to the mikvah, but it is, quote-unquote, doable. So practically, it sounds like somebody would want to stay up all night um, after, after going to the mikvah the previous day. Um, I, that's if you choshish to shittas rashi, to the shittah of tful yoyim. I believe that, from, if I'm not mistaken, most of those who go to the harbais today, um, they're not choshish for tful yoyim. They go to mikvah that day, I think. Because I, I believe that the majority of poskim are not machmer about that. I'm just... Yeah. Okay. Um, now, when it comes to a woman, so this, there's, there's a number of things that make it much more complicated for women, which is why, though there are, I think you could call them fringe groups of women who do go to the Harabayas with all the halachic preparation, um, for the most part, even those um, rabbis who are very pro going to the Harabayas, for the most part, they say that women should not go without, that only men should go, not women. And here's why. Um, so we have Zavon Nida Yoldus and the, and Balkari. So so here goes. So first of all, Yeladis. Yeladis is a woman who's given birth. That's not very complicated because hopefully, if a woman's given birth, she knows that she's given birth, and she wouldn't be uh, Yeladis without knowing. And we know the purification process of going to mikvah. Now, Nida and Zava are two different things. Nowadays, we basically treat them as one. But the point is, it's a menstrual discharge. Nida is a healthy menstrual discharge. Zava, like, a, like for a man, a Zav, is an unhealthy discharge. A Zava would also be an unhealthy discharge for women. Again, we machmer, we treat them all the same nowadays. And in on, on, on that respect, for women, it's, um, they know how to go to mikvah, and so they know what they're doing. However, the complications are as follows. Um, number one, un- n- not unmarried women, women who are not married. So for generations, there has been a very strong ban against non against single girls going to the mikvah. So obviously, again, in the in the, in those camps who the very strong Zionist camps who push for this, I'll say, oh, now, now we have a reason for single girls to go to the mikvah. So okay, but that that's the problem. The other thing is that pelata shichvazera basically means that if a woman has relations with her husband. For the next three days, she's considered like 
the equivalent of a male bal carry. And so even if she were go to go to mikvah, and she's not nidah, now she's not going to be nidah for the next at least two weeks, let's say, and maybe even longer. But if she's been intimate with her husband, she has to go again. She doesn't have to do shivnikim again. She doesn't have to count, wait seven days. But she does have to go through the whole purification process um, of, 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 of going okay. to mikvah, etc., with all, with all the preparations involved. So that becomes a more complicated thing because whereas a man, you go to mikvah and go, for a woman, it's like, okay, we have to go to mikvah, but now you, ha- we, we, you, ha- you have to know and commit and actually, you know, you have to actually not, not be with, intimate with your husband for, until you've gone to the Harabais. And as we'll see soon, we're going to see soon, sorry? She has to basically wait the three days. She has to wait three days since the last time she was in, right? So let's say usually if a woman goes to mikvah, she's going to be with her husband right then. So then, okay, so not that. So then I go to mikvah again the next day, and now for three days you're off. So it's, it, it becomes complicated, complicated to implement, that's A. And B, as we'll see soon, um, it could lead to other mikshoilas, which I'm hoping to talk about soon. As I can see on the clock, my... Uh, my premonition is true that we are going to go over time today, and uh, I, I think it is impor- important to uh, at least cover the major po- the points, even if we do go a little bit over time. Okay, so that's as far again a very basic overview of the of, of the of the tuma issue. But at least in theory, if you could go <coughs> over the if you could get over the tuma issue, which we've seen that at least for men, in some cases it, it, it is doable. It's not simple, but it is doable. So now, okay, so, so, so we can theoretically go to the Harabayas, should we do so, right? So, let's, what I, I'll present first some of the arguments of the, of the, of the camp that are pro-going to the Harabayas and the Shoei Verbetzido, what the, what the response to those are. They say that it's Kibush Haaretz, right? This is the mitzvah of, we have a mitzvah of conquering the land, so we've done the rest of it to solve done what we can. This is this is the heart of the land. We have to conquer it. And from my discussions, like I mentioned before, from my discussions with uh, my military expert who was staying with me for Shabbos, that is absolutely true. Um, that the only way, um, the fact is that now there is a lot more Jewish access to the Harabayas than there was 10, 20 years ago. And the only reason that that happens is because we have these groups pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing the envelope. And so they're definitely, if, if that's what they're trying to accomplish, then they're definitely accomplishing that. Of course, the response to that, from the certainly from the Hasidic and the Chabad perspective, would be that that's not what we're supposed to be doing. We're not supposed to be doing Kibbush Haaretz right now. That is something that we wait, uh, not, not we wait, but we, we wait for Mashiach, and our, our efforts do not, are not um, on the political front, but rather on the Avedis Hashem front, which is obviously a major point of uh, contention between the Zionist and the anti-Zionist groups, as, again, I hope to touch upon a little bit more soon. Now, um, then, okay, another mitzvah, which they claim, the Zionist, uh, the, the pro Aliyah Laharabais people claim, that there's a mitzvah of Shmira Samiktosh. One of the 613 mitzvahs is to guard the Miktosh, which is a mitzvah that is accomplished not actually in the Miktosh, but outside the Miktosh on the Harabais. As the Rambam explains that um, the Rambam explains that the mitzvah that, that the reason for the mitzvah is not to guard it from the enemy as much as the that a palace that has guards outside it is a much more prominent palace and therefore one could fulfill the mitzvah of Shmir Samikdash just by going up to the Harabais now the Chayra, the mitzvah of Shmir Samikdash only applies to Kainim and Leviim, not to Yisraelim so for most people that's not relevant but at least for those people who are Kainim and Leviim, that would be a relevant um, point. Now there's a Sikha from the Rebbe 
about Shmir Samikdash nowadays, which again I hope to get to soon, but I'll just now mention a number of points that the Rebbe makes, which are interesting. Um, one is that the Rambam says that the mitzvah of Shmir Samikdash is only at night, not during the day. Now, as it currently stands, to my knowledge, the times that they allow Jews onto the Temple Mount, onto the Harbais, is only during the day. But yet, the Rebbe says that it could be that the reason the Rambam says that the mitzvah is only by, da- by night is because by day, you have service going on in the Beis HaMikdash. You don't need the external trappings. It's only by night where the Beis HaMikdash is kind of close to services, so we need the external trapping of the guard. So if that, the Rebbe suggests that it's possible that even the Rambam would agree that in absence of Avedu in the Beis HaMikdash, there is a mitzvah of Shmir HaMikdash even during the daytime. And that's the Rebbe also invoked the Pasuk, the famous Pasuk, there's a song, that I place guards on your walls, Jerusalem, by night and by day. Okay, so that's one argument. If you re- if you want um, uh, the, one of the counter arguments that are that I've seen is fakert. What's the job of the shemim sh- 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 of the mikdash? One of the jobs is that they have to protect. They have to t- if people try to come to the mikdash that are not supposed to be there because they're not tohir for whatever reason. Then the job of the guards is to keep them away. So he says you want to fulfill the the, the mitzvah of shemir samikdash. Stand at outside the entrance of the Temple Mount and tell all the Zionists that you're not allowed to be here. That's how you're going to fulfill the <laughs> mitzvah of Shmir Excuse me, what about, what about the Arabs that are playing soccer up there? Mm-hmm. Good, so if you have the position... You're that supposed to guard against them too, right? If, if, you have the, if you have the ability to do that. All right. In general, yeah, but that would only be the people that shouldn't be there, right? Like the, if you have the oh, well, well, but, 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 but if if you hold that nobody should be there, we'll see soon. Why, if you hold that nobody should be there, so then okay. Um, another reason why they say it's very important to go up is is is, is from a, not from a, obviously prayer there, and in general, drishas tzir, an expression of my affection and love for the place that Hashem chose. So those are more or less the, the arguments of the, those who are pro-Ali al mm-hmm. Again, just Google it you, if, if you're interested. There's, there's, there's a lot of literature out there. Um, again, I'm happy afterwards I could share with you links, YouTube link, whatever you want. I'm happy to share everything. <coughs> um, now, um, okay, those who forbid it, so there's a number of points. Okay, first of all, I mentioned already before, some say that we do have to concern ourselves that maybe men are Azov, so that's just another another point. Um, the Rambam also says, in Hilchus Pesachira Perek in the beginning of Perek where he talks about not going about all the... all the people who are not allowed to go into the Mokimah he finishes off that a person should only go, go in for a Dvar Mitzvah. A person should only go into the Mokimah, to the Harabais for a Mitzvah. Right? Now, so, for example, in an article that I saw from a Baron Lichtenstein, um, he, he, one of his reasons why he says what shouldn't go to the Harabais is because you could only go for a Dvar Mitzvah, so he gets like, okay, maybe, maybe some people are going for a Dvar Mitzvah, but the reason why I think that argument is kind of a little bit irrelevant to debate of it is because it's just going to, it's like circular reasoning, because those who are pro-going to the Harabais, well, well, then that is the mitzvah. Going to the Harabais is the mitzvah. And, might be, yeah, right, and, and, and davening there is a mitzvah, etc. So, while it's true, <coughs> while it's true that, um, while it's true that um, one should only go there for a mitzvah, but it, it is, so that could be another reason to refrain from going but it could also be used as a reason to go. So it, it does, it's, again, it's, it's not so 
again, in, in, in sort of in the in the in the in the discourse of it, it's not such a relevant point. Like Another important point: people that have no halachic understanding at all, they might have no kavana whatsoever. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to get to the question of. I'm going to get that. Okay, but one second, I'll get to that in a moment. Uh, here's a very important thing. We mentioned before there's a mitzvah of Meir Mikdosh. Mitzvah of Meir Mikdosh is, um, Ramam says, you're in awe of the Shechina, so there's different halachas. What are the halachas? Number one, not a lot of wear shoes, leather shoes at least, so you go without shoes. Okay. Not a lot of spit. But in general, it's not about not a lot of go. With a wallet, which it seems like the Pasuken mainly see means you're not allowed to go with a visible wallet. So, afundosi means like a, a money belt. Nowadays, most people have the wallets hidden in their pockets, so that's maybe not such a problem. And here, I'm going to get onto my soapbox for a minute. Excuse, don't mind me. Um, the, in general, you know, what's the what's that story of uh, don't eat the daisies? Like I can't tell you every detail of what to do or not to do. The point is that if you're on the Harabais. It's an awesome place and has to be treated with that degree of sanctity. So, um, I think it would be appropriate to say no cell phones, right? For sure. Um, what about photography? I certainly would be hesitant uh, about that. In general, just kibitzing? Like, what are you doing there, right? So again, there are some people who are very religious, who go there as a religious thing, and they treat it as such an awesome experience. But th- one has to be very, very careful when going there, not to in any way... Um, disrespect the, the mitzvah of my, the thoughts of Mary Mikdash. Now, here's my soapbox. There's one place in the world, in the Chabad um, custom, that we treat in a parallel way, and that is that we take off our shoes when we go to the oil. Now, I'm not I'm not sure exactly if the Rebbe is the one who instituted that minhag, or if it was already um, previous Rabbeim who removed their shoes when going into the oil of their predecessors. But it is a Chabad, to my knowledge. It is unique to Chabad. It's not observed by any other groups going to the kvarim of any tzaddikim I've never seen or heard them taking off their shoes. We treat the oil with that degree of extreme sanctity that we take off our shoes. And therefore, um, by that token, um, it bothers me when I see people going into the oil and, oh, they're taking pictures. Uh, outside the oil, they even have a sign, you know, Hassan and Kala come out and everybody's standing pictures like, it's not the place for this, you know. This is not, you're not going to propose on the Eiffel Towers and taking a selfie. Um, but um, but certainly inside the oil, you know, people take pictures of people davening inside the oil. I can't say it's forbidden, but if it's a place that we take off our shoes, to me it seems in very poor taste to be pulling out your phone and snapping pictures. That's mm-hmm. that's my personal thing. And now, if you don't mind me, I'll step down from my soapbox. Um, okay. By the way, in um, terms of spitting, when you get the Shehem Ishtachim, the Hevel Varit, Oh, so that's the thing about spinning. Bob just can't dive in there. Yeah. Yeah. No, but maybe that's uh, that's different. Maybe <laughs> that's yeah. the shay mitzvah. <laughs> mitzvah of spinning. Yeah. Okay. Actually, one of, in one of the classes I heard from Rabbi Manning, he asked, like, what's this idea of spinning? Why do the Mishnah you find all these halachas about spinning? Why were people spinning all the time? So he says, that, you know, in the, before the days of antibiotics and health, people would have had sort of chronic infections and flus and things, and there was a lot more saliva and spinning going on. Anyway. <laughs> All right. Yes. <laughs> okay. So, so, so here, I, here's where we have to move on. I want to, I want to sort of mention. I think the most important point, which is what, 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 what the rabbi's perspective and what most of the gedolei Yisrael from again, like I said, it's mainly in the more Haredi camp, but also Rabbi Yosef, Rabbi Cook, and, and, and many of these. Um, I believe this is the most important argument that they make, um, and they say that. They say that there is no way 
that this can be done in, in the current, in today's day and age. There is no way that we can allow, sanction, and promote Aliyah Lahara bias without it bringing to tremendous, tremendous mechshaylus, to tremendous, um, how do you say, um, stumbling blocks, yeah, to tremendous halachic issues. And I, I think that this is to be divided into three categories. Number one, um, even if, even if you are going to make sure that when you go up to the Harabayas, you're going to go to Mikvah with all the necessary and uh, Hidurim, there's no question that there are many, many people, of course there are many people who are not religious, who go and, and, and uh, without that, right? So first of all, if we're opening it to Jews, we're also going to open it to non-religious Jews who are not going to do the, the Hachana. So that's already a, trem- a tremendous mikshah. Now, you could say, okay, but there's Arabs there anyway. Good, but I can't do anything about the Arabs not being there right now. But if, I'm, if, we don't, if it's not open to Jews, then Jews are not going to be there, and that will save all the thousands of irreligious Jews who go there for touring or for whatever reason. Um, right. And will save them from the... From, uh, a, it will save them from... from um, from, no, not up to there yet. We'll save them from going to the Harabais without going to Mikvah. And we'll save them from violating Moira Mikdash. Like I said before, going up there for touring is by definition a violation of Moira Mikdash. Even from people, there are so, so many from people who would never go if they had, if they had any inkling that perhaps they're not supposed to, but they have no idea. In fact, I have a friend who shall remain nameless. Um, who was in Israel a few months ago with his wife and his parents, and his parents are not from at all, and um, they met a, 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 a uh, they met a, a group of Orthodox Jews, clearly from, who were about to go, and they said, oh, why don't you come join us? And they're like, oh, wow, there's an opportunity to go, for sure, for sure. Now, this friend came back from Israel, he told me the story, he was all excited about it, and it never even occurred to him that it was absolutely, I mean, he's from, and I mean, it's possible that he went to Mikvah that morning. Certainly, he didn't go to Mikvah with all the, with all the rest necessary hachanas. But certainly, his par- his, his wife, I don't know where she was up to in her, in her thing, but, but certainly his parents, who are not from at all, had certainly not been to Mikvah. And he, he was just celebrating the opportunity to go to Harabais. And nobody even said to them, you know, that you could only come if you're a candidate to go. Right? So, we, it, you don't need to be a rocket scientist to figure this out, that, the, 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 that it's not a possibility, it's a, just a fact that the movement for Aliyah Laharabais is bringing in its wake tremendous violation of Moira Mikdash and of people going up there when they are tummy. This gets even worse when you talk about the area that you go. Because if you're going with knowledgeable halachic people who know what the areas to avoid are and what the route to take is, so then then that's fine. But what's stopping somebody from taking one step in the wrong direction who doesn't know and going into an area where there's a chi of karis? And as we mentioned before, the extreme with which we take a chi of karis is, um, is, uh, is the extreme with which we take is like a, ma- a minefield. Right? You, don't go, you don't say, oh, I'll go into the minefield and I'll just make sure not to step on, a, on an explosive, right? No, you avoid the whole minefield, right? So, a chi of karis is a ruchniyistika minefield, and you know, how sure are you that there's 5,000 people going up on Pesach, of those 5,000 people, how many t- took one step in the wrong direction? Right, but about the minefield, if at the same time I'm going into a minefield, there's also something tremendous to gain, then I might go to a minefield, right? You're right. saying that there's all these wonderful right. benefits. Yeah, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm going to address that in a moment. Um, there is another, f- from all the, besides, until now we've spoken everything halachically, 
Um, there is also the, I mean, obviously everything is halacha, governed by halacha, but there is also the political question that some people say, oh, you can't go there because it's provoking the Arabs. I, I'm certainly no military expert, again, from my discussions yesterday with uh, Shmuel, um, who who's, who's has many years' experience in, the, in leadership positions in the army. Um, he, 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 he believes that from a military perspective and even from a political perspective, it, it could be, it should and could be encouraged. Obviously, he wasn't talking from a reli- religious perspective, but I'm not getting into that. Be going to uh, the Temple Mount. I just want to point out that we mentioned in the beginning of the class the Gurarie, who says that Yaakov didn't go to the Harabais the first time round because he was escaping Esau. So perhaps there is an allusion to contemporary times that if we're going to go there and it's going to provoke Esau, then it might not be a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but anyway, that's a, a derech. That's a derech hadrush. That's a derech hadrush. But um, I'll say two more points, and then I'll get to what the Rebbe has to say on the topic. One is that a lot of the when when, when presenting the the people who are against it, a lot of the literature that was written against it was written in the immediate wake of 1967. Now, one has to remember that what was going on in 1967 is that, uh, pun intended, were going there. In other words, suddenly, all the Jewish schools and people were making trips and going there and playing. It was like everybody, the Israeli population was so excited about that we have the Temple Mount, not religious people, and everyone was going there and doing projects and cleaning up and doing things, and obviously all in violation of, of Tumah, of Chiv Kares, of everything, right? So at the time, there were many Rabbanim who felt that it was critical to just put an absolute ban and stop it. It could be that the extreme language that some of them used in their letters of the time would be toned down if they were writing it today. That's A. Um, B, um, that it could also be, and obviously, like I mentioned before, some claim that this would be that Rav Kook's, this is true of Rav Kook, but it is possible that there are many rabbis who were against it at the time who, in today's political reality, in, t- in the reality today, that we do seem to have more clarity of exactly where the Mokhem HaMikdash is than we may have had 30, 40, 50 years ago. Um, so there may be, um, there may be some, so some would have been less against it than they are recorded as being. Another important point to mention is that even if you accept, and I think the Rebbe would agree with this too, that even if you are completely opposed to any type of Ali al-Harabais, there is a necessity for there to be the presence of uh, soldiers and police, etc., on the Harabais, and in, a, in, in an ideal world, the soldiers and police who were stationed on the Harabais would learn the halachas and go to mikveh and do it uh, do it properly before. Yeah, from, from yeah, ones. yeah. All right. So now, let me read to you what the Rebbe has to say, and this is quite um, it's a little bit painful to me to see this because um, there's no shortage of people who have agendas and. Um, it's very easy to take uh, one or two statements of the Rebbe and misconstrue them and certainly to present them out of context. And I have seen people presenting the Rebbe as being one of the big proponents of going to the Harabais, and they do so by taking a line of a sikha here or a sikha there and presenting it out of context in a way to fit their agenda. So obviously I'm not going to fix the whole world right now, but I will read to you what... Sorry. I will read to you... Sorry to disappoint you. <laughs> Let me read to you. Sorry? We stay in extra 15 minutes. I will read to you what the Rebbe says about this. And unfortunately, I did not have a chance to determine what, what year this was written, because that would add insight to me. 
but I'll just read to you in the Rebbe's words and then I'll share with you my thoughts about it. Poshut, it is obvious, that in the in the in the current situation, in any similar situation, that it has been for decades going in one direction from right to left, right meaning meaning from to a place where there are many Jews who are not following Torah, I think that's what the Rebbe means over here, Shehinini, that I am, Bechol HaToykev, with all Toykev, with all intensity, with all, yeah, Neged against, even HaHalo Al Seder HaYoyim, Heter HaLi Al Harabais. It is completely, I am totally against even talking about going up to the Harabais on, so to speak, the negotiating table. In other words, the rabbis in Israel debating whether we should or we shouldn't, it, it shouldn't even be entered into the debate. It has to be completely non-grata. We're not talking about it. It's not even something to be considered. Immediately, as soon as you start talking about this in the public sphere, many people will go up to the Harabayas. Even if, you do, even if you call a meeting with all the rabbis and all the people in Israel, and they all say absolutely not, the fact that it was on the, disc, on, 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 the, on, the, on the card for discussion, that in and of itself will bring people to go up. And they'll go up to places where they were certainly, where it's certainly forbidden to go. And the number of people doing so will only grow, God forbid. And the more you... Um, uh, warn people against this, that will even more provoke people's inclination to make more and more people um, go up. Anybody who has any, who does any um, uh, efforts in this regard, and certainly anybody who actually goes up to the Temple Mount, they have a hand in the me'ila. How do you say in English me'ila? In the misuse? Or? No, in the in uh, abu- yeah. yeah, in the in the abuse of the sacred. Yeah, alias yeah. yeah. kol the namely the the, the, the the all the above people going up apashat, and all this is obvious. So I don't think it could have, the rabbi could have possibly been any more clear than this, and I'm not sure why there's still people who try to misconstrue things that the rabbi said about this. Um, one second, one second. We're going to go in the, with the wrong. Yeah, in other words, what the Rebbe is saying is that as soon as this is a topic for discussion, there it's impossible to prevent, it's impossible to prevent there to be violations of halacha. Even if you yourself are careful to keep halacha, it's impossible to be violated. Uh, one more thing, there's a footnote over here. Now again, I, I, I'm sorry I didn't look this up. Babes Chayenu is a, is a journal that came out in the late 80s and early 90s. So this is quite late, right? So people want to say, oh, the Rebbe changed his mind. This is something that came out late. It says over there that there was somebody who was really strong and wanted to go to Hadar Bayis, and the Rebbe wrote to him as follows, according to the Torah, learning the halachas of the building of the Beis HaMikdosh, the Torah considers it as if you actually um, participated in building of the base of Mikdash, the Imbazahbalas and this has no limits. There are limits, alright? So in other words, Rebbe is saying anything you want to accomplish, and this is what you said before, Ari. Um, you know, uh, the, 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 it's not a minefield, but what if there's something to accomplish? As far as the Rebbe is concerned, and, and here I, I think that I think that the Rebbe, really the Rebbe's opinion here is based on three paramount foundations that that that, that 
uh, shape this opinion. Number one, any virtue that can be accomplished through going to the Harabais, as far as the Rebbe is concerned, can also be accomplished by learning the areas of Torah that concern that. And this is something that we find from the Rebbe it's very extreme. It's not pshat that if you learn, if you learn the base of Bechira, you get the schar or something as if you build the base of English. No. Learning Hilchus of Bechira is actually building the base of English. And the same with this. Learning these halachas is actually accomplishing whatever you, you, you can. Uh, again, we'll go through this briefly. Again, we're, we're quite far over time. Okay. Um, number two, um, that, and this goes back to, I alluded to this before, the general Zionist and anti-Zionist camp is that the, the Zionist camp, and you have to remember nowadays we have such a thing called religious Zionism, but in the, at its foundation, Zionism was a secular movement. Um, and the, 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 essentially the, the, the position of, of, of the, of the Rabbeim was always, and not just the Rabbeim, all Chassidim and, and, and most uh, from Jews, was that Geula is brought about through Mashiach. Hashem, we didn't we didn't put ourselves into Golos, and we're not going to take ourselves out of Golos. Our avodah is to serve Hashem and bring Mashiach in that way. And Mashiach comes, God brings us Mashiach to, 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 to redeem us from Golos. And it's not something that is accomplished through our, our political um, lobbying, etc., etc., which is something which obviously the Zionists don't accept. But from the Rebbe's perspective, from our perspective, this is the truth. This, this is our perspective. Rabbi, the, the, the Rabbi, um, not in the sense of trying to make political they weren't trying okay. to rem- get out of Golis politically okay. they were trying to live in Eretz Yisrael they were yeah, yeah. Yisrael. Uh, I, I'm happy to talk okay. afterwards I really, I'm already 20 minutes I've never done this before in all my year I think this is 7 years or so I've never gone 20 minutes over but okay um, one more thing for many many years there was, like I mentioned before, present Jewish presence on the Harabais. Then it stopped. The fact that it stopped is also Bahashkah Pratis. It didn't stop because, oh, it happens to be that. Hashem is orchestrating everything. And if Hashem orchestrates, and, and you have to remember, in the times of the Rambam, or in the times when there were people going to Daven on the Harabais, you didn't have the, ex- the, 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 the type of, the amount of non-from Jews in the way that we have it today in Eretz Yisrael. And it's probably true to say I think it's true that at those times there was a shul and the people were keeping the halachas and they were going there and it didn't bring to mechshelis. People, the, the, the people who were going there were there, going there because they were from and they wanted to keep halacha and they wanted to daven. It's in the lashon of the rebbe is b'matzav hanoichichi. In in, in today's day, in, in the current matzav, it's impossible to do it without leading to other people violating halacha. That wasn't always the case, and the fact that for so many decades and centuries. The laws of keeping Tara have been forgotten because Tara is not relevant to us for the most part. And uh, the, the laws of uh, exactly where the Mokim HaMikdash is, the tradition of where the Mokim HaMikdash is has been obscured. And, etc., etc., the situation today that in order to go up to the Temple Mount you have to create a novelty, right? It's not just happenstance that it happens to be that the government will do it. Everything is Mashkoch HaPratis. And the same Eibishter who allowed us access to the Harabais for so many hundreds of years after the Khurban, for whatever reason, known best to him, has decided that it stopped. And therefore, to start it again is something that has to come um, in a way that is absolutely um, in align- alignment with his will. And if it causes something to be a mechshah, then we know that it's not his will. Um, there is one more which I can I cannot 
not mention, which is that the Rebbe also discussed this idea, why don't we find that today we should fulfill the mitzvah of Shemir HaMikdosh, um, with the possibility of going to Harabai, so it's a mitzvah de Raisa. And again, it, the Sikh is a bit terse, I can't say I fully understand it, but essentially the Rebbe says two things. The Rebbe says, Kivin de itchi, itchi, in other words, once it's something that we don't do anymore, so now we don't do it anymore, which kind of goes back to this Chadosh The fact is, yes, they were doing it for hundreds of years, but then for hundreds of years they weren't doing it, and to reinstitute something new is something that, 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 that takes broader, sh- so, so, broader sh- shoulders. Perhaps this also matches with the Rebbe Rashab's approach to Tchelas, which, um, I, I, you know, that's obviously... That's A. And B, the Rebbe also discusses over there the problem of provoking the nations uh, with Shmir Samikdash. Now, again, the Rebbe isn't, again, the Sikha is terse, and the Rebbe isn't saying, no, we don't go because you're going to provoke the nations. And the Rebbe's not in that Sikha giving, at least explicitly, any um, uh, military view on whether or not it is actually provoking the nations, nations to go on the Harabais. Many would argue that it's not, and all the things that, all the intifada and things that they blame as having been provoked by the Aliyah to the Temple Mount would have happened anyway, and if not for that, they would have blamed it on something else. Again, I'm certainly no expert to discuss that, but that is something which the Rebbe does mention in the Sikha, and so I wanted to mention it. Thank you all for joining me. It's been a fascinating journey to prepare this class and to give this class, and uh, hope everybody enjoyed. Chaim, good yom tov.